Greetings, pot pickers, and hello and welcome to Three Worlds Podcast, episode 10 of series 2. It's the last one of the series. I'll be back next year, but this is the last one. Boo-hoo. Okay, last time I got rambling all about a haunted sweat lodge and some of the things that I didn't cover were um, what to do with ritual objects and also the thorny issue about charging for healing and charging for ceremony and charging for teachings and all of that lot. So I'm going to start with that and sip my cup of coffee as I do and see where we end up. It's a horrible wet Pembrokeshire night outside and uh, it's nice to be in here cosy and warm and yes, off we go. I don't charge for healing. I don't charge for ceremony. And more recently, I've stopped charging for teachings, um, at least in general. Um, that's my position, and I'll explain why, and I'll explain a little bit about the rationale. In the traditions that I first started to cut my teeth with, they were Native American traditions, and the Native American medicine people that I worked with were pretty traditional, and in their traditions... You didn't ever charge for a ceremony and you didn't ever charge for a healing. And those things were really, really drummed into myself and all the people that worked with them at that time. And so that has stuck. It's the ceremony and, and the, the magic in inverted commas comes from spirit. And so it's not OK to charge for that in that tradition. Now, saying that, the tradition is and was that the person who received the healing or came to the ceremony knew the right form of behaviour and they gave a big gift. They gave a big gift because a big gift was important. You have to honour spirit. You have to honour the spirits. And it's about the concept of the giveaway. If you're ill and you come to someone for a healing you are expected to do a big giveaway. It may be that you give away to the medicine person or it may be that you give away to the community, but you give away. You give away so much it hurts because that is a way for you to show spirit that you really mean it and you really are invested in having that healing or being in that ceremony. Now, of course, in the West, that concept is a complete kind of... Uh? People just don't know about giveaway generally. And there is a culture of give me something and give it me for free. And so it doesn't work so well. So it's very difficult when you're working with people in that way. And you have to kind of um, try and educate them a little bit. And I guess in a way, me putting out this podcast, you know, and all the work that I do with the magazine and stuff is about educating into some of those old ways of being, because I think... Those old ways of being have got an elegance and a sophistication that is lacking a lot. I'm old school. I always say I'm old school. And, and I'm kind of pleased to be old school, really, because I think old school is best. I'm an old fart, really. But there you go. Um, so I don't charge. I do not a vast amount of healing because I don't have time. But even when I do do healing for people... 
I don't charge them, but I do expect to receive a gift. Now, I don't have to earn my money from healing. And in fact, traditionally, medicine people didn't tend to do that anyway. So um, for me, if I do a healing for somebody, I kind of do it in my spare time. I slot it in in an evening or whenever I do it. And it does not need me to earn money from so that I don't have to sort of worry about, you know, putting food on my table from that because I publish the magazine and I sell craft objects and antiques and all of the bits and pieces that I get by, you know, doing. Um, but I still expect and I make it plain to people that they have to give a gift. Sometimes it's to me and I always give people the option of they give it to me or they do it, like I said a, bit, a few moments ago, for their community. They do something, but they have to give away and it has to hurt, ideally. Now, I sometimes joke with people and, you know, it freaks people. It really does freak people a lot in the West. You know, it's like you say, I give a gift, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and, and they don't know how much to give. They don't know what to give. Money is fine, by the way. I'm perfectly happy to receive gifts of money because it's just a sort of exchange. Um, I mean, in the olden days, if you were, a, a you know, a Lakota medicine person or something, you might be given several horses. Well, you'd probably trade those horses. It's the same. It's the same principle. But it's the principle of the gift that, that is the, the main thing. So people don't know how much to give. So it does freak them if you sort of say, well, give me a gift because they have no idea. And that that's lovely. I actually really like putting people on the spot because it actually makes them really think about what it is that they're doing and what it is that they're receiving. I do not make it comfortable for people. I do not have a suggested donation. It really is up to them. And if they kind of are absolutely nonplussed, I will say to them something like, well, my normal response anyway, is uh, somewhere between a chocolate bar and a new car. And um, that's a pretty big thing. And I've never had a new car. Uh, I've had a few chocolate bars. Uh, most things are in the middle. But that whole thing is, is, is a crucial way of working for me. And more recently, I've stopped charging for teachings because... Um, the teachings are priceless. To, to quote uh, 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 one of my Buddhist teachers, the, the teachings are priceless, but the teacher has to eat. And so you're expected to give a donation for the teachings, too. And it's about trust for me. I think if a medicine person or a shaman or a spiritual person cannot actually trust the spirits to survive then that says something fairly fundamental about them. I have to say that, and I know it's a kind of fairly hard line. I trust, and I have learned to trust over the sort of, you know, many decades that I've been doing this. I trust the spirits, he said with his fingers crossed. But I do trust the principle that if I'm going to be doing spirit work, the spirits know what I need. And I kind of, I often sail fairly close to the wind with that, but I've, I'm still alive. And I've mm, eaten most meals 
there are a few that I've not had a lot of food in the cupboard, but I've managed. And and for me, that is that is the crucial bit. Shamanism is not a business and it does kind of, well, if I'm honest, it does kind of irritate me a bit. The Western idea of people kind of train in shamanism and they treat it like some kind of alternative psychotherapy or something. And then they hire a room and they charge by the hour. And for me, that's a kind of an anathema because that is so not how it is traditionally done. And like I say, I'm a bit old school and I'm a bit unrepentant in that. But I'm not going to kind of castigate you if you do that. But I'm going to I'm going to try and hold up a mirror and, and reflect to you. Maybe it would be good if you looked at doing it a different way. But we all of us have to develop our trust and we all of us have to develop the relationship with our practice so that we kind of settle into it. It's like when we start off, we put on a new suit, we put on a new suit of clothes and it's kind of not comfortable and we feel a bit clumpy in it. But gradually over the years, that suit of clothes, we kind of get to know it. We get to know where its kind of tight bits are and where its loose baggy bits are and where the holes are in the pockets. And it becomes part of us much more. It's no longer something we put on. It becomes us. And a shamanic practice, a spiritual practice, hopefully over the years, it does develop into that. It becomes familiar. It uh, it rides up with wear. That used to be a saying from my childhood. Um, you'd get clothes that were slightly too big and uh, maybe the trouser legs would be too big on a pair of trousers or something and it would ride up with wear. All the sleeves would be as well. And that's part of the growing into it. That's part of the growing into it. So like I say, I don't charge. There are exceptions to that. I'm teaching a workshop in Iceland in 2020 and uh, the sheer practicalities of that means that the people organizing it are setting a uh, a, you know fee and I'm I'm charging and that that is because I've got to kind of get there and there's the, the venue hire and all of that so that's an exception but when I'm when I'm working in my own home and seeing people or you know doing doing whatever I do then I don't charge but I do expect a gift um trust yeah i think trust is really important but it does like i say it does take a a while to do a while to develop so okay you're putting on let's say a sweat lodge we talked about sweat lodge last week um so you're putting on a sweat lodge and it's going to cost you you've got to get the stones from a quarry somewhere and Okay, you're probably not going to buy the stones, but you're going to have to spend time going and doing it. When I used to do sweat lodges, um, they were in England and I used to go to a quarry in the Malvern Hills, which I knew of. And so to go and get the stones would take oh quite a bit of a day and um, it would involve me putting petrol in the car to drive. I mean, it wasn't a vast distance, but it was a distance. So it all cost money. And um, I didn't charge for that. That was my giveaway. When you're doing a ceremony or when you're doing a healing, you are giving away too. So that was not paid for by anybody. Um, Wood used to be provided uh, for the fire for the sweat lodge. I'm thinking back now. It was a while ago. 
but uh, I don't remember us ever buying it. But I think I think I think well, we used somebody's land, and I seem to remember that they provided the wood. Yes, they did, of course. They were a tree surgeon, so uh, they provided the wood, and um, and so uh, the, we didn't have to pay for the wood, but it did cost because that wood the person would have sold or, you know, they would have used it themselves. And so he was out of pocket. I was out of pocket. We provided food for everybody afterwards because that's also part of the tradition. And okay, a lot of people brought food to share, but it's still part of the tradition. And of course, I'm giving up my time, you know, for me to do a sweat lodge for somebody, yet alone going and getting the rocks. It was it was a day out of my life you know putting on the ceremony building the fire clearing the site carting everything to the site then afterwards it's you know stripping the tarpaulins off the sweat lodge frame and drying them and it's a lot of work that was my giveaway I didn't get any money for that people did uh make donations sometimes and and that kind of went uh, I think we must have given some to the guy who provided the wood and certainly we kind of used little bits of it to help provide the food but it was not in any way um, expected you know in 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 that way it wasn't it wasn't kind of done because there's a cost and therefore people have to pay per head to come into the sweat lodge no that's not on that's not on Sweat lodge, any ceremony should never be charged for, like I said, and that, that's because of the tradition that I kind of grew up in in that way, and, and I still hold very firmly to that. It is a privilege if you do a ceremony for somebody, and, you know, you give away just as much as they do. So, okay, maybe you're teaching a workshop, you've got to hire a venue. We live in the real world, there are practical costs so, OK, it costs you X amount to hire the workshop and you have 10 people coming on the workshop. You can, if you so wish, charge for it. I'm not going to tell you that you can't charge. I'm not going to tell you that you shouldn't do that. There are lots of people doing it, but I'm just going to kind of question it in a polite way. But if it was me, I would divide the cost of the workshop venue hire by the number of people attending the workshop and that would be a charge for those people that would be how much they had to pay to be there and then there would be the begging bowl or as it's done in in buddhist uh, retreats um, you put money in an envelope generally or something like that and that is the donation for the teacher and that's extra. So you provide everything and you charge what is required. But then they give you the extra little bit, which is the profit side of that, if they wish to, because they value the teachings. Same maybe if you're hiring a centre. OK, so you've got a couple of clients. You're hiring a centre, you know, a, a room, an office, a, a therapy room. Maybe, you know, it costs X amount per hour to hire it. So you've got two or three clients. You work out how much it actually costs for that client to be there. And you charge that client that amount of money and you make it plain to them that that does not give you anything. And there needs to be an energy exchange. These are just alternative ways of working. And it's things to think about because it's such a big thing. 
And there are so many people ripping people off because they're charging an arm and a leg for, you know, major expensive workshops at sort of vast amounts of pounds and dollars and whatever the currency is per weekend. Um, and I just don't like that. But you've got to find your own way with it. I am not sitting here on this dark, wet Pembrokeshire night with a cup of coffee in my hand telling you you shouldn't do it. But I am saying you should question it. Anyway, enough of that. I think we've covered the charging and, and all of that probably quite enough. Uh, let's move on to something a little bit different. So let's talk a little bit about working with ritual objects and some of the, the kind of safeguards, um, you know, things that you can do if you don't feel terribly comfortable with an object. Maybe somebody gives you something and uh, you are not very comfortable with it. You know, they find this wonderful antique kind of dried head and they think, oh, this will suit my friend because my friend is really into kind of weird stuff. So they give it you and you say, oh, thank you very much. And you are left holding the hot potato or the dried head and uh, you're thinking, well, what do I do with this? This is nice. Oh, shit. So first thing, if you don't like something, if something is giving you the EBGBs, wrap it in red wool, red cloth. Let me specify that. Red cloth. It doesn't have to be wool. Wool was the tradition, but... Um, it, it, you know, red is good, but uh, it could be just cotton cloth, anything like that. You wrap it in red because red is a protective colour in so many traditions because it's the colour of blood and therefore it's the colour of life. And it's a major protector. In some Native American traditions, a lot of ritual objects will have red wool cloth bindings on the handles so that if they're being used in a healing um, the the kind of the, the, the EBGBs won't pass down through the object and into you. And so if you put an object in a red kind of sack or you wrap it up like a Christmas present, you are in effect putting it to sleep. This is an old tradition. You are putting the bundle to sleep. This is from the Native American traditions, but I was talking to a Mongolian shaman friend about the very this very thing a little while ago, and, and they said, oh, yeah, it's exactly the same in their tradition. They have to cover things up. So if somebody has given you a dried, shrunken head and you're not feeling very comfortable with it, you get yourself a good yard of material and you wrap the head in it and you tie it securely and maybe you... Uh, put uh, some sage or some other smudging herb around it or on top of it and you are in effect telling the spirits this is no longer active you have wrapped it up you have put it to sleep you have isolated it that is a good first basic thing I've got a, a little doll which I bought a few months ago which I haven't had any time to work with it's very old it's made of deer antler with a bronze head and uh, it's from somewhere in China. 
Um, I don't know where. It's either kind of northern China verging into Siberia or maybe it's from southeast China. I honestly don't know because I've never seen anything like it before. I bought it because um, I couldn't not, to be honest, because I'd never seen one before. But I knew that it was going to be icky. And uh, it's uh, like I say, it's very old and it's the sort of thing that you look at and you think, And actually, when it came, it wasn't as as I feared it might be. It was almost sweet, but then it might be lulling me into a false sense of security. So anyway, that is wrapped up in my shrine room with a great length of red cloth and it's tied and it's, you know, bundled up like a mummy. And um, when I have time, I will go and talk to my spirits about it and I will ask them what it needs, what I need to do with it, etc, etc, etc. Smudging, of course, is, you know, an essential Anything you get that is a, a, a ritual object that you feel even fairly comfortable with, it's a really good idea to give it a good smudge. Uh, if it's a metal object, you can dip it in vodka or you can wipe vodka on it. And it doesn't have to be metal. You can do that on other things too. Vodka has a double use in, in uh, Siberian Mongolian shamanism. In part, it's a spirit food and in part, it's a liquid smudge. So a lot of objects are, are washed in vodka. If I get a new, new, especially a metal object, I will generally wash it in vodka. Uh, and that is an act of purification in its own right. And then if it's an object that I'm working with a long time and it's one of my objects anyway, then it will periodically get given vodka to drink because that's, that's kind of part of its spirit food. It's an offering to the spirit of the, uh, 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 spirit of the object. So, OK, you've got something you're not feeling comfortable with. it. You've given it a good smudge. You have wrapped it in red cloth and it's now sitting there like an unexploded bomb in your house. What are you going to do about it? Well, like I said about that doll that I've got, that, that spirit figure that's uh, made of antler, I need to journey to my spirits and I need to go and talk to them in one of the uh, what I call tutorial journeys where I go and have a chat with them around the table. We don't drink coffee. That's not good. I must introduce coffee to my spirits. And, um, and I will talk to them about it and I will say, OK, well, what is it? What do I need to do with it? Is it harmful? You know, I'll have the good conversation with them and I will follow their instructions. They will say, throw it in the sea or they will say, put in our bonfire or they will say do this ceremony and drive out the spirit that may be in it and then you can use it to put another spirit in or they will say whatever it is that they say ask your spirits a shaman asks for help as my dear friend Jonathan Horvitz is forever saying a shaman asks for help and so that's what you've got to do if you've got an object that you don't feel good about look if the, the nitty gritty is if you've got an object that is offered to you, if you see it in a junk shop or something and you don't feel good about it, don't buy it. It's as simple as I'm I'm kind of passionate about ritual objects. And even me, sometimes there are some that I really wouldn't touch with a barge pole. Ah, uh, that's an expression. OK, 
Americans and other people overseas, you probably have no idea what a barge pole is, so I'm going to give a quick digression. A barge pole is a long piece of wood that is used to push barges on canals in Britain. It's a tradition that is no longer really used now because um, all the barges and the boats and whatever on canals have uh, motors. But in the olden days when they were pulled by horses, you had a barge pole which you would push off from the side you would help uh, it would help uh, if you had to go through a tunnel you would use it on against the side of the tunnel wall like a like a kind of um, pole to help propel you through the tunnel because the horses couldn't come because there wasn't a towpath through the tunnel i grew up uh, in a little village in England and uh, the canal was sort of next door to me and i used to go playing um, along the banks of the canal. And also my family, on the one side of my family, they were uh, boat people. And so uh, it's kind of a bit in my blood in that way. And some of the terminology when I was growing up was still in use. So I wouldn't touch it with a barge pole basically means I wouldn't touch it with a very long pole, which means I wouldn't touch it. So... Um, yeah, it's a lovely expression. I wouldn't touch it with a barge pole. Anyway, there you go. A little diversion into uh, English colloquialisms. Um, so seriously, if something comes to you and you don't like it, don't accept it. You don't ever have to accept a ritual object that doesn't feel right. At the end of the day, you are in charge of it and you're in charge of you and you have to be responsible to you. So don't touch it with a barge pole if it doesn't feel good. If it feels like it might be okay but you're not sure wrap it up in red cloth smudge it do all the bits and pieces and talk to your spirits always talk to your spirits all right i think i've covered that too i can't really think of much else to say about that ah mm. so this is the 10th podcast of this series it's the last podcast of this series i've enjoyed doing them and i'm going to plan to do some more next year in 2020 i'm not going to say when in 2020 i'm not even going to say which 2020 it may be but in 2020 one of them in some parallel universe somewhere far far away i will do another series of podcasts i'm really appreciative of the emails I'm really bad at replying. I'm very aware that there are a load of emails that I need to reply to. I will reply. I've been very busy over the last few weeks because of uh, Sacred Hoop magazine issue 106, which is coming out at the end of this week. And uh, it just eats my time, really. So I, I just haven't had the headspace to reply. I will do. Um, so I want to thank you very much for listening. I've really appreciated, like I say, the contact from people, uh, both on Facebook and uh, on, on via email. My email address is nick at sacredhoop.org. The website for this is threeworlds.co.uk. And a shout out for the magazine, Sacred Hoop magazine, which is ludicrously low cost. We're charging £14 for two years which is eight issues, um, and you can get that by going to www.sacredhoop.org forward slash offer.html. 
And uh, yeah, there you go. Next issue of the magazine, 106. We've got articles about Korean shamanism, Mongolian shamanism, uh, Nepalese shamanism, working with spirit animals. Uh, oh, I can't remember what else we've got. Loads of stuff. Oh, a, 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 a Mongolian divination technique with coins. All sorts of stuff. All good stuff. Stuff that you definitely should touch with a barge pole. In fact, you should throw away the barge pole and grab it with both hands. So <laughs> I'm going to kind of end. Um, I'm just going to say a little bit about the fact that I'm also a musician and I'm going to be self-indulgent. I'm going to put on a track of my from my new album. I've got a brand new album which came out a couple of weeks ago called Vessel. And uh, my music is important to me in a kind of shamanic way. It's not shamanic music, but it's inspired greatly by my shamanism and by my spiritual practice. So I'm going to make this podcast slightly longer and stick on one of the tracks. And uh, there you go. I hope very much that you enjoy this. And please get in touch and please stay tuned and I'll be back. come to me on a journey all the way over from Tibet it was painted a long time ago the wheel of rebirth which we're born in so I'm wondering which world am I stuck in now is this a god realm am I a hungry ghost who's never satisfied Always seeking out yet more stuff to consume I guess right now I'm stuck in a bardo Wanting form to manifest to be my tanker Not just a tracking on their website, oh my I watch a man walk past and find I'm wondering what does he think about are his thoughts anything like mine? Is his life full of mystery? Are the stones talking to him? Does the wind kiss his skin? Is he contemplating the wonder of it all and his place in creation? Or is he contemplating his next meal? Paint upon that tanker once with stone that someone carefully crushed Which had its birth in distant stars and came to us on trails of dust Like Zambalan's pet stars won't cease to spew out dust both far and near To make the worlds we live within, whatever form those worlds appear Yes, I'm in a god realm 
And yes, I am a hungry ghost And sometimes I'm in hell worlds Where I suffer endlessly time and again Maybe I'm a tracking number two For when I'm lost in the system Who knows how it all operates So I'm waiting in this bardo While my tanker's not here And I am stuck to attachment with glue Couriers to the left of me and the cosmos to my right And here I am stuck in samsara with you